0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people, "What's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?" Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Haha, in my dentist's office.
2: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Straycast. My name is Dale O'Donnell, your host, and I'm delighted to be joined again this week by Sean Connolly, where we'll be talking about Manchester United's 3-1 win over Brentford in the Premier League. More positivity, Sean, how are you keeping?
1: I'm doing good. I'm doing good, man. Um, yeah, positivity. First Premier League win in 2022, uh, an extremely enjoyable performance in the second half. It's... Uh, it's one of these rare moments in a podcast but us recently where we can actually be happy about what we're talking about.
2: yeah, uh, Absolutely. And I said at the weekend when I was writing the newsletter um, that I was feeling quite down about United at the moment because reality hits when you're in the middle of January. You're sitting 7th and your team has yet to go on that win and run at all since the start of the season. And you look back at the performances and the only one, really one you can kind of hold in high regard is the win over Leeds. That was the first day of the season. But... Yeah. Speaking about this game against Brentford, first half, again, I was feeling there was no reason to feel any optimism at half time, but it was definitely a tale of of two halves. And Manchester United came out in the second half and performed really well, scored some great goals. Overall, Sean, what did you make of it?
1: Uh, Night and day, really. Night and day. First half, lots of ball, nothing happened about it. Uh, 45 minutes, we touched the ball eight times in the opposition's box, didn't manage one shot on target. And ultimately, dropped Brentford's manager um, half-demented, judging on his post-match uh, press conference. But second half, fantastic, uh, fast, arrogant, vibrant football. Uh, really, chest cock out sort of attitude. The arrogance required to play for Manchester United. Um, enjoyable football. I mean, you, you. I can't, I stress this time and time again. This is a hobby. I mean, this is all it is. We, it, following Man United is a, is a glorious hobby and it's one that you should enjoy. And uh, I certainly enjoyed the second half, uh, especially with the boys who scored and the manner in which they scored. It was fantastic. Three academy graduates scoring
2: and you mentioned Thomas Frank, who we can agree had a chip on his shoulder after the match. He, 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 mm. he wanted to name check Jaden Sancho for, for not being in the squad, but the reason it was Sancho so necessary, was, wasn't it? Yeah, Sancho wasn't in the squad because of a bereavement um, due to a family member, so it was kind of a low blow. I'm not sure, right? Yeah, uh, I'm not sure Thomas Frank knew that at the time of speaking, but he also spoke about how little old Brentford devastated Manchester United by completely destroying them in a match that they lost 3 1. Um, complete and utter gobbledygook. And um, Sean I think you'd agree Was he just trying to deflect What happened on the pitch
1: I think it was A culmination of a few different things Alright I mean This is for, for, It doesn't matter where we are currently This is the game at Brentford We're looking forward to You know what this I mean welcoming Manchester United To their ground This is what They were looking forward to It was I mean The hype around that stadium Around that football team For the last week Is huge And um he, I suppose in his head he thought, oh God, any other night now we're other goalkeeper outside of David Zaheia and we're two up at halftime and we've got a, a fairy tale story coming on here. Look, ultimately football is about not only creating opportunities but more importantly taking your opportunities. You can feel as begrudged as you want at the end of a football game. God only knows I felt begrudged plenty of times watching Manchester United but the fact of the matter is you have those chances. And there was a chip on his shoulder, and even think, more I so to the pants mentioning
2: hats off to him that in the space of about two minutes, Thomas Frank became one of the most annoying pricks in the Premier League. Credit to him, well, he
1: certainly, it, it only yeah, took he, two I like mean, it was a talent, I didn't realize he had that type of talent. I'd spoken to people that had a Endured him in the championship And You know it's funny Because they come into the, the Premier League And it's this real kind of uh, oh, look. They're, they're, they're a nice team You know they're a nice team To play good football This fella seems like An entertaining character And then just like that It's Oh yeah okay Alright now I see What everyone was talking about um, But what was funny You know what I'm making The reference sir? Was a 72 million pound Jaden Sancho Someone should really tell him At the end of the game That Ivan Tony Costs more Than all three of our scorers Put together You know So you know, these little things they're they're lost upon you in the heat of the moment. And uh I say you probably look back and it maybe think, right, okay, should have thought a little bit more about that before I started talking. But uh yeah, I was entertaining. Entertaining.
2: Welcome to the Premier League. Um, Welcome to the
1: Premier League. Talking about the game
2: itself, David De Gea was another mainstay, especially in the post-match reports, the the saves he pulled off, keeping Manchester United in the game in the first half. But I wanted to speak about him with a slightly different angle, Sean. And I've I know from speaking to you previously that you've raised concerns about the hair. I'm definitely starting to see him, and I know he performed brilliantly again against Brentford and made some saves that saved us ultimately. Like he's done week in week out this season. But Sean, his distribution is at fault pretty much every week, and that creates or allows the opposition to create chances. And That's why we're yeah. giving so many of them away.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, look, you know yourself, um I wrote about the goalkeeping conundrum at Manchester United. It's probably going on about a year ago now at this stage. Now obviously we we're seeing Prime De Gea return this year with the shot stop. I mean, it's it's sensational. And if you want to go through the catalogue of history of goalkeepers, he's he's up there with the very finest, if not the finest shot stopper that I can certainly ever remember. But the goalkeeping role has transformed over the years. And there's more characteristics for that particular role. It's look Fundamentally, I mean, first and foremost, the goalkeeper's job is to stop the ball going into his net. And De Gea does that probably better than anyone. But it has grown. And I mean, I suppose from what I wrote about to what I feel, I think there's like, And before defining kind of characteristics to a modern goalkeeper, you have your shot stopping, which he takes all the boxes on. You have the sweeper keeper sort of scenario, whereby you have the ability and the mentality to be able to come out of the box appropriately to act as that extra kind of defender, that sweeper and being able to assist in defenders. We saw that and we spoke about that in the last podcast, when you had that moment against Villa where Lindelof didn't necessarily clear the ball as, as well as he possibly could. And I said at the time on the last podcast, if that's Dean Henderson in goal, we're not in that position where Ollie Watkins hits the crossbar because Dean Henderson is coming out, getting that ball, clearing it up the field. Instead, the hair retreats, and ultimately we're put in that position. And it's something you see time and time again with him, that he doesn't have that same confidence in that sweeper sort of level. And then you move on to a third sort of scenario. You're talking about your command of your area. And again, I spoke previously, and I still stand by it, like Dean Henderson has a tremendous command of his area, almost at a point where he's, he's kicking and kneeing and punching his own players getting out of the way. Whereas, you know, like De Gea is, is very meek in that. Obviously, we saw recently when Fred, I think, stood in his baby toe and, and ultimately we had to bring, you know, two or three of the, the doctors onto the field for him. And those little things add up. And then when you're talking about the fourth point, you're talking, what you said is the distribution. His distribution is worryingly, worryingly average at best. And in a, in a defining era of football in this 21st century, So many games are built out from the back, particularly United who have like repeatedly, we'll say season after season now, started cultivating this scenario where we're building out from the goalkeeper constantly. It's goalkeeper to defenders and we're so poor at it. And for so long, people, I suppose, avoided critiquing De Gea on this because he's such a fantastic shot stopper. But this is a real issue. It is a real, real issue. And yes, you can look at his statistics and you can look at the amount of highlight real saves that he makes but we have to stop avoiding every other part. It's just, it's simple. The statistics are there to prove pros and cons, and they are certainly there, Dale.
2: Part of me thinks when you, wait, when you put it that way, you ask, well, then why is Ragnick picking the Gea over Henderson? Look, at his performance this season, I think, are a strong enough argument to why he's first choice. But when it comes to the reason that you use, that he could be actually proven a problem, um, and making it easy for the opposition with his distribution and his other faults. I also look at the midfield and the defense, and I feel that no matter who we play, as we've seen all season, we're going to be giving away lots of chances. And maybe there's an acceptance that there's going to be a lot of shots on goal, so it's only the smartest option to to start the best shot stopper. And when it comes to De Gea, although he has faults, like we agree. In other areas of his game when it comes to shot stop, and I don't think there's there's a better goalkeeper, let alone in in the league, but he's up there in the best in the world. Um without a shadow of a doubt. So that could be the reason as to why, well, then why is Ragnik starting them? United have a lot of problems. Again, while De Gea could be problematic in some areas, he is not the problem, maybe a problem, but again, a very small one considering where we'd probably be in the table if it wasn't for him this season and previous years. Sean, another talking point from the game beforehand. I was hoping Victor Lindelof would be the one to partner Varane, even though United gave away two goals late on against Villa. I I hoped Ragnik would stick with that pair, and he did. And that meant keeping the skipper on the bench, Harry Maguire, Which again, I give credit to Ragnick for this because I've thought that Maguire has been a big problem (laughs) for Manchester United, especially if they're going to play with a high line. I I don't see him being an option at all. And I I think his his future at the club should be questioned, but it won't because of how much he costs us and his contract. But Mm -hmm. Sean, do you see the benefit of Maguire starting alongside Varane or do you think that Maguire is still in the picture as his captain?
1: I think there's a few different things with us. Um, when when I, when the rumor mills started breaking sort of yesterday, yesterday morning about the apparent uh, Raniak two boards that Maguire, Shaw and Wan Massaka were not suitable players for the football club, you not follow up the situation where it broke earlier that it was looking that he was going to be starting on the bench because he wasn't yet fit to play. I just think it's ludicrous when when I even read that because if he's fit to play. Like he's on the bench, you know? So just it's also- to
2: quickly interrupt, Sean, to quickly interrupt. Yeah. Last week when he returned to the squad and he was named on the bench, Ragnick publicly said that he was fit, but that he was sticking with his two centre backs that he used in the cup. So now it's changed that the reason he's not being picked is that he's not fully fit.
1: Exactly. Which I don't buy it, that. And it was no, nor do I, nor do I. And it was also cited that it was a rib injury. Now, I know from experience you damage your ribs, you're you're struggling to walk, let alone going out and running on a football field. So I think there's a lot more to it. I certainly think in the short term, his his place in the starting eleven is nowhere near as short. I think the the the, the largest saving grace at this moment in time for Maguire at United is the price tag that you made mention to. Because Let's say for Big Iron's sake, Raniak has gone to the board and said he's, he's, he's not what, I, what we need in moving forward. It's not just as easy to write that money off because with the transfer fee that he came, you're not getting that money back. You're just, you're not. And also, as I spoke about previously, the commercial worth of that particular contract to the owners, they're going to look at it as more so this is is, is, is aiding in the uh, the overall valuation of the football club. So I certainly think there's a lot more to this than was being reported last night that he's on the bench because he's not yet fit to start. Because even if you look at it, when he came on, I, I, I look, I agree with the ideal of bringing a defender on at that particular time, because we saw what happened against Villa in the last 20 minutes when we didn't shore up and we didn't yeah. look to consolidate what we had. So I'm not totally against that. But you're bringing, who is a seriously, seriously uh, seasoned and a, and a veteran defender at both club and international level, into a back three that is consisting of two guys that were already playing very, very well in Lindelof and Varane. You're you're expecting composure and added composure and stability, and ultimately, what occurred last night was he he seemed to bring a vulnerability, a little bit of shakiness, a bit of nerves, and you can't you can't have that. You simply can't. And and also, when he came onto the pitch, he wasn't handed the armband. Sure, he wasn't. No. No, yeah. no. So I think there's a, there's a lot going on here. I, I really do. I don't think it's as, it's as simplistic as he was injured, he wasn't fit. I think there's a lot going on here. And, and ultimately, if there was... Um, they can't even stick to the same story times... for a week, Sean. <laughs> <'Cause>, I know. <laughs> last, I know. Week,
2: last week he was fit. It wasn't a fresh injury last either because fit. they wouldn't have yeah, said that. They would have said it was a fresh injury if it was. Um, So, yeah, Harry Maguire's future, uh, is it on the brink? Again, I think I've said this on the blog by a lot of players in the past month when it comes to speculation and, and X, Y, and Z players being linked with moves elsewhere. I've kind of used the line pretty much in every article is that Manchester United fans would not lose sleep over this. And we're talking about the skipper who should be leading us on the pitch someone that should be starting every week that we should believe should be starting every week and he's a million miles away from it and I think I would add him into the, the list of players that I, I would not lose sleep over I I don't see a long-term future for him at centre-back at Manchester United if we are to make the, the progress that we should be making under the next manager because we haven't met enough in, in recent years quite clearly Anthony Alanga deserves a mention didn't have the greatest yeah. first half, but in order to, to put that behind him, he came out in the second half and scored a wonderful goal to show that he has a head in his shoulders and didn't put his head down at any stage. Um, how impressed are you by him in the first team? Because he's made like an immediate impact, hasn't he?
1: Oh, he absolutely has. Yeah, he's a, For everything that we have, we we'll say, for want of a better word, endured, he's a breath of fresh air. He really is. He's, um, as I said uh, when we spoke last week, he's quite clearly applying himself on the training field because that's that's warranting his his continued selection in the side. He, yeah, like as, as you said, quiet in the first half. But I don't think there was a whole lot really to talk about in the first half as a whole. But he 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 was quiet. But make a similar analogy, you know, in a real real prime football team, we often speak about these goalkeepers who spend 75 minutes standing still doing nothing and then are forced into one reaction save and it shows yeah. that they're really on point. Very similar to that with Alanga last yeah, night. true. And I know I know you should expect more out of an attacking player because ultimately they're the people that are causing it. But even when he was without the ball last night, he continued to run, didn't he? He constantly ran. He was constantly an option, constantly drawing defenders away. And that can't be ignored. It's easy to look at the ball and what he's not doing on the ball. But you have to look at what he's doing off the ball because that's also very important and it's something that Jesse Lingard was also very, very good at throughout his career at United and he never got enough of credit for it because the running off the ball is huge and Alanga, he's got that youth and vibrancy. He's a breath of fresh air. I think he's, um, I think the the sky's the limit for this guy. I really do.
2: Brilliant. It's great to have another player coming through because in recent years, in fairness, we've had no shortage of talented players coming through. Mason Greenwood, Marcus Rashford, now Anthony Alanga, Scott McTominay, it's great to be feeding in. And, and it's it's just unfortunate that these young players, especially Marcus Rashford, when he was really breaking through, that he wasn't breaking through into a team that was experiencing success. I think that's crucial what this team is lacking, and a sense of in in the argument about mentality. I don't think a lot of these players quite have the know-how. And that's the tricky, that's the tricky part of this job for the next manager is to make this team and give this team a taste of success. That's why it was such a detriment that we didn't win that Europa league. I know it's second rate competition, whatever, and people probably make my people make a big deal of it, but it, that was crucial to for this team and they can't miss out the next time. The last point before we could answer the question, Sean was probably your favorite point since we did an episode of Marcus Rashford two weeks ago, confidence at a time was at an all time low and we said all he needs is, is a goal or assist or something to give him that confidence boost. When he yeah. came off the bench against Brentford and, and made the most of his opportunity in front of the goal, I was delighted and it wasn't long before you sent me a text after the, the goal went in.
1: Oh God, delighted from De- absolutely delighted from. I just needed that goal or assist and and just hopefully build that momentum for him. Do you know what I loved after it as well? When he somewhat apprehended, like he was he 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 always loves celebrating his goals but the way that McTominay like physically dragged him and said, get over there, enjoy this, celebrate. He was almost throwing him into the fans, enjoy it, celebrate it, milk it up because McTominay, he, he knows these things. And I love that. It's just special mention for, for Scotty. I, I can't go without that, but no, it's uh, it's fantastic uh, that he got that goal. And I really hope he pushes on from it because I mean, it's the first time in months that he genuinely the, the, There was joy in his face. And, that, and that's fantastic. Like,
2: the big positive we can take is that while his form since he returned from the shoulder opera- operation has been poor, I think it would be fair to say, he hasn't showed any real composure in front of goal. But there was a big difference when he came off the bench against Brentford when he was played in by Fernandez. He showed great composure, slapped the ball at home. And, mm. you know, that's, that's exactly what he needed. And it's time for him now to push on. And we get a big, massive game this weekend. I can't stress how important the game against West Ham is on Saturday. Six-pointer. It's even more than that to me, Sean, because it's leading into an international break. And let's start this podcast, we're talking about how we haven't had a a run of wins. And I'm looking at the league table right now. I'm looking at the month of February. We need to be winning every game in February. And all the games are winnable. All the games are winnable. Maybe at the end, it kind of gets a bit more difficult before we start playing City and Liverpool and, and Leicester and the likes but we have an opportunity to climb up the table and we beat West Ham at the weekend. Finally, we will start to move up the table because it feels like we sat seven for quite a, quite a few weeks now. Maybe that's what the team needs is to see a bit of progress from the one of the results. And it won't be easy. But as you mentioned, it'll be a six pointer.
1: No, certainly won't be easy. They're playing very well and they're a tough team. They're uh, they're coached very well and they they've, they're organised but it's at home. It's at Old Trafford. we got our crowd. We have, I know it's only one game, but we have the momentum of the Brentford result behind us here. I'm hoping that the dressing room is as confident in the potential momentum and the the fixture list of upcoming and the potential streak that the teams can put together. West Ham is never going to be an easy game. Never. But Manchester United is not an easy game either. And I'd certainly be Manchester United welcoming West Ham to Old Trafford rather than the other way around than West Ham traveling to Old Trafford and I me, mean, Manchester United. I'm, uh, um, it's not going to be an easy game, but there's there's huge repercussions um, either way. And it's a must-win. It really is. And it's funny to say that at this early stage, but it but it is a must-win. We have to keep momentum going. Absolutely.
2: Can I get a quick prediction from you? Or do you do score predictions? Are you any good at them?
1: Am I good at them? I'm amazing at them, though. Um, no. Um, Put if your I was house gonna, on it. If I was, gonna, if I was going to to back, I'd say, 3-1 United.
2: Yeah, okay. So three points. I'm going to go 2-0 United. I think we're, we're going to get a clean sheet at the weekend. Um, moving on to the to the questions for the last segment of the podcast this week. I'm going to ask Sean, the first one, Jamie Buckton from the Facebook group. The second half against Brentford showed what we're capable of when we change to a formation that suits us. Do we think Ragnick changes to what works or does he stay stubborn to the formation he prefers?
1: No, I certainly don't think he stays stubborn. Um, I mean, it it feels like he's only been here for a handful of days. Like it's been a relatively short period of time that he's been here. And we've already seen his 4-2-2-2. We've seen him retract to a 4-2-3-1. And now he's obviously progressing on to a 4-3-3. The thing I like about Raniak a lot is how vocal he is about his tactical prowess in pre- and post-match press conferences He quite clearly is a a student of the game. He loves talking tactics, and he's very, very open about how he feels he can get the best out of the side. I don't think he's in any way stubborn to changing up. I think he had a flaw, we'll say, as we previously discussed against Aston Villa with substitutions and not responding to a tactical change in that particular game. But he's made up for it with how he uh, dealt with the Brentford match, and... um, No, no, I wouldn't say he's stubborn. I'd say he's quite open to be able to change around. All right, so Dale, I got a question from Vincent Mellon on uh, Twitter. He's a a good follower here. And uh, he's asking, can we defensively play with a 4-3-3 structure? He's concerned about, I suppose, segmentations of poor passing, losing duels in the midfield and rushing our play. Can we control the midfield and how?
2: I think we could definitely control, learn to control games better. And I think we can this season with the way Ragnick wants to play. It's just going to take a bit more time for for this team to, to adjust to that. But whether you can play defensive in a 4-3-3, three, three, of course you can. You could also play Fred and McTominay in defensive roles like we've seen under Solskjaer in previous seasons, which drove people demented. So I don't think you're going to see that. I think ultimately when Ragnick is switching to a 4-3-3 three, three now and... F- judging from what I've seen of of United under him they're not going to play defensive at all really unless they're closing out a game it, it seems to me he wants to get the ball forward it doesn't seem to me he's a manager that will settle on a 1-0 lead I think he likes the goals and attack on football and he wants his team to entertain and, and ultimately that should be music to the ears of, of, of United fans um, whether it works or not it's a total different thing that's the most important factor so People, I guess this is not the honeymoon period because we haven't been given a bounce, but we're still very much intrigued to see over time what Ragnar can do with this team. It's been it's been pretty flat at the start, but I don't think that's really his, his fault. I think it's been difficult for him to have a sense of authority over this dressing room because there's so many people that, that don't even know about their futures because the club have let contracts run down. Players are, are preparing to leave on a free. So, Sean, I have a question from the Facebook group, again, from Jerry Kelleher. He said, do you think Bruno is unfairly criticized by his own fans, especially online ones? The social media crowd, he means. Those those Twitter trolls. Um, yeah. He gets dogs abuse. And I just don't get it when you consider his numbers. I think Jerry raises a valid point here about the expectations on Bruno. I think he
1: raises a, a perfectly valid point here. The expectations on him, I suppose. Is he a victim of his own success in just how amazing his goal contributions, his figures, his statistics were since joining the club? I mean, we're led to believe that Fernandez is having a poor season right now, yet he's got 18 goals and assists. Um, so goal contributions. I believe it's, some, it's broken down with seven goals and 11 assists, and that is without penalties. Okay, so this is a guy who's performing poorly in the eyes of these individuals yet he's got 18 goal contributions the man is absolutely pivotal to, to us in moving forward he is i mean he's he's so important to the team and okay i think from time to time people can look at stuff like his we'll say his past completion percentage and they will look to be very critical of that and ultimately i feel like it's just picking and nitpicking the, the, the guy is absolutely and utterly heads and shoulders above so many other contributors in European football. And even at this moment in time with the figures that he has, he's deemed to be having a poor season, yet he's still one of the top midfielders in the league. He's elite and he's absolutely dealt with too uh, harshly by so many of these individuals online. Agreed. So Dale, what we're gonna do here, we're gonna move on. We got another question here from uh, one of actually one of our own one of our own contributors, Dylan. Dylan is um, asking about with McTominay being deployed as a six, do you feel that could finally benefit Fred as he thrives from playing further forward, enabling him to press high and do what he's good at?
2: Definitely. I definitely think that it will could benefit Fred because as we've seen with Brazil, him playing in a, in a further forward position plays a lot better, contributes to quite a few goals, and we've seen that again against Brentford, with a great pass for Anthony Alanga, but it, it, this, the bigger question I think is, is is based down to whether we can find a midfield this season, including McTominay and Fred, who were clearly the prefer, preferred options and and make it work, it, we just haven't seen it consistently, and I know last night, for me Scott McTominay was man of the match playing in that role you mentioned The centre was man of the match for me, especially in the second half. He was terrific, absolutely awesome performance. But the problem for me with Scott McTominay is, and I've always rated him a quality player. The problem is, can he go and do it now against West Ham? Can he go and do it consistently, game after game, and be a a dominant force in Manchester United midfield? And for a long time in the first team, he's been considered inexperienced, considered one of the younger players, but I think McTominay now is shaping into a man and he needs to add consistency to his game. And that is what will benefit Fred mostly because it won't benefit Fred if McTominay is running around midfield like a blue arse fly and United are conceding chances the whole time. That'll bring the defence deeper and we won't have any shape. So as we've seen against Brentford in the first half, it just didn't work. But when it does work, it, 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 it's, it's good to watch. Um, it's good to watch. So I'm still unsure whether they're the answer. Um, I think the fact that Manchester United are looking to sign midfielders is telling that one, if not two of them, future next season in the first team is under question. We've got a question in from Facebook from Desi Fai. He asks, why do you think we're such slow starters in matches? And do you think there's a bigger mentality issue around this group because we're being outfought in pretty much every game?
1: I think something you touched upon already, dear, um, in relation to how the kick of a ball can, I suppose, implement and change so much with a group of players. When you see the rope farm and the detriment that that caused by losing that, it's amazing that one penalty and winning that could have changed absolutely everything. They're a young group. I know there's a couple of uh, old veterans inside in that team but they're a young group of players and they're very much marginalized in this sort of scenario whereby they're a part of this failed Manchester United system. I think they're a group of players that require momentum and they require confidence because they're young and they don't have that success of the old Manchester United teams. Ultimately, we're going from game to game not knowing whether... Manchester United A or Manchester United B is going to turn up. And yes, we often get outworked and we get outfought. Um, Personally, I feel it's not necessarily, we'll say, uh, maybe a psychological or any sort of an issue like that. I think it's more of a situation whereby there are a group of players that are trying to find themselves and it's going to require momentum to turn into to a trophy. I think a trophy is the biggest thing these 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 group of players need. And that sort of confidence that they can indeed get the results. Because I feel at this moment in time, without the victories and without the trophies and without that momentum, they don't have the confidence in themselves to be actually able to say that they're wearing the jersey and they can do it year in, year out and develop these trophies for the football club.
2: 100% agree with that. I, I go back to that Europa League finally a lot on this podcast and it was such a kick in the teeth wasn't it like it was really really real in the teeth after after a tough enough season and that opportunity to end it on a high we didn't um i believe you've another question for me sean
1: i got a question here from uh, scott Van Stratton off of the uh, facebook page he's asking thoughts on dallo's performance at right back
2: Massive improvement going forward on wan Um, He
1: offers us something,
2: but still not the complete package. I would have to say I'm more impressed by Alex Tellez on the opposite flank. I think he's been really, really good. Um, and it's, it's not like we're in desperate need. I think of a left back, I think Shaw is okay for for now. We might look to address that in the summer, but at right back, I think we definitely need to. Um, Tellez has impressed me, but Dalo less so. But like I said, improvement on Wambasaka. I think Wan is having a really bad season. Um, I'm not saying give up on him yet just yet, because we've seen previously how good he can be defensively, especially in one-on-one situations. And I just part of me hopes don't give up on him. And part of me hopes that whoever comes in and the coaches that are there now can actually work on him because there's there's fine attributes there that you're just ignoring if you throw them away um and i think he can flourish i still believe he can flourish thanks for that sean um really enjoyed the the conversation although we've had a lot of run-ins with technical difficulties tonight this is our fourth attempt at recording and we've had to stop about three times
1: four time (laughs) lucky
2: yeah i think that's how it works but look before it goes again Uh, I want to say thanks to the listeners who who tune in every week and and the new listeners um, as well. Make sure you subscribe to the Stretty newsletter, which can be found. We love you all. We do. We do love you all, especially subscribers. So you can subscribe at Stretty.substack.com. And you can get our newsletter, which goes out a few mornings every week. It's full of stats, before games, takes after games. And we'll be looking to bring some exclusive snippets your way in the near future. Sean, thanks so much again for joining me, and I'll speak to you again at the weekend.
1: Yeah, talk to you soon, my friend.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.